0: This podcast is brought to you by Close Brothers Asset Management. We've created this podcast to set out possible approaches. Please do not view it as financial advice or its content as investment recommendations. Just because an investment or investment strategy has performed well in the past does not mean it will continue to do so. Our predictions are based on information that is currently available. However, events and markets can and do change rapidly.
1: Hello and welcome to our podcast. I'm Tom Santralaya and I'm joined today by Robert Olster and Isabel Albera. And Hello to you both. Hi.
0: Good morning.
1: So when we last spoke, equity markets were reasonably buoyed. Uh, I think at the time I described it as surprisingly robust. Uh, Because despite higher interest rates, higher inflation, cost of living squeeze, and slowing economic activity, US equity markets as a whole were in bull market territory, a bull market being a market that's grown by 20% from its previous lows. And that bull market made it all the way through to its first birthday, uh, its first anniversary from the previous lows of October 2022, but since has pulled back into correction territory. Although staging a bit of a recovery in the last few days. So maybe let's try to unpick some of that. We'll try to decipher why it is that this has happened, because there's no shortage of factors that might have influenced this, uh, as well as other asset class movements. Um, So maybe let's start with the big news story of recent weeks, which, of course, is the huge tragedy unfolding in the Middle East. Now, clearly, the human impact of this tragic and ongoing dispute which dramatically escalated last month, is unfathomable. And of course, our deepest sympathies are with all those affected. We simply couldn't do justice to those impacted by trying to discuss their experiences within this particular forum. But we also can't ignore the fact that these types of events uh, can have economic implications beyond the direct borders of the conflict. So If we may, let's focus on the potential global economic implications of the situation and how they might be impacting financial markets and investor sentiment. So I'll I'll start with you, Robert. Historically, when we've seen significant regional conflicts such as this flare up, how has it tended to impact financial markets?
2: Yeah, I guess the first place I'd start is to say there's a pretty big distinction between regional conflicts and sort of world world wars, you know, wars that involve uh, multiple continents. Um, mm. That's not to belittle what's happening now. Of course. But in terms of economic terms, um, major wars do affect financial markets negatively. Um, regional conflicts tend not to, simply because they have smaller countries involved, which are less sort of economically powerful or less involved in listed equity and bond markets. So that's the first distinction um, I'd make. The second one is the obvious one, that each of these conflicts is very, very different and Mm -hmm. involves very different um, participants. So although the global impact sort of is limited, it can obviously affect very much the economics in the particular region. But the big thing, of course, is whether it escalates and affects, in, in this particular case, whether it escalates to Iran, the rest of the Middle East, and when you think of the Middle East, you naturally think of oil prices, and that's when you suddenly have to worry as a global investor about what's going to happen next.
1: So when you start seeing inflationary pressures from oil prices, yeah, and, and
2: also you know, and therefore look at the last regional conflict of the Ukraine, Russia, and what happened of to course. the spike in oil and um, food prices, as, a, as an example of that, which affected markets far outside the sort of economic clout of Russia and Ukraine.
1: And there there are some similarities between what's recently happened and the Yom Kippur War of the 1970s. Is that? Is there anything yeah. we can take from that in yeah, the learnings?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Um, I think the main one is that the oil energy intensity of the world economy is vastly different, Mm. partly because of what happened after the Yom Kippur War, which is, you know, oil more than quadrupled, and it induced um, a sort of response from the Western world, which led to probably the severest recession since the Second World War, essentially. So as a result of that, um, energy intensity uh, came down, and has continued to come down through more efficient, Domestic appliances, more efficient transportation, more efficient factories. One of the biggest consumptions, consumption of electricity, for example, is motors in factories producing goods, and they're vastly more efficient. But the big second thing as well this time round is the US is no longer dependent on importing oil. It's self sufficient. And that's a huge, that only happened quite recently, admittedly. I think 2019 was the first year. That's a huge turning point.
1: So so how has it actually played out in markets then, Isabel? What have you seen?
0: I think, if anything, what's been perhaps surprising is how little it's shown up in market movements. Okay. Um, you know, if we look at equity indices, for example, and, um, you know, even bond yields to an extent, generally things aren't very far from where they were before. If we think about um, commodities, Uh, So we have seen a bit of a strengthening in gold prices. And, you know, as Robert alluded to, oil prices have strengthened a little bit.
1: Okay. Uh, As a result, did we need to adapt portfolios then if we haven't seen huge amounts of change?
2: Well, there was obviously quite a lot of discussion at the time. But the answer broadly is no, we don't and haven't done. Um, There is a sort of what happens if it escalates and oil really does move up, you know, to like $150 or $200 a barrel, like 80 it is now. But that hasn't happened. And so, no, we haven't um, had, to have to put, had to take any specific action on portfolios. And as you know, and we reiterate, diversification is one of the watchwords mm. of how we Absolutely. invest. And that is obviously in, in this case as well.
1: Okay, and what about the contagion risk that Robert mentioned earlier? What are the potential risks there, Isabel? Mm,
0: Yeah, so I I suppose, you know, how, how could it escalate? Well, the energy channel probably economically remains the most significant potential spillover. Um, obviously, there's a chance that other nations could be drawn into the conflict. Um, and if those nations happen to be big energy e- exporters, that could be significant. Mm-hmm. I think um, something everyone's kind of particularly vigilant about is obviously Iran's involvement. yeah, And that's because firstly, um, if sanctions against Iranian um, a- energy exports get imposed more strictly... That could have an impact on energy supply, and you know beyond that, there is also obviously a risk that things escalate quite significantly, and Iranian energy infrastructure could even be affected. So, you know, um, different degrees of severity, but that's something that we're keeping a close eye on.
1: So, it's not the conflict itself that's been impacting equity markets. It seems so far. Uh, what about earnings season? Has that had a factor in any way? What have you been seeing in earnings season, Robert? Yeah, I mean, it,
2: you're right. It's coincident with earnings season for the third quarter of the year. And we're now through just about getting into the final stages um, of earnings season. So i would describe it overall, at headline level, as very solid, to be honest. Okay. Um, at the aggregate level and globally, earnings are coming in, to, you know, plus 2%. Year and year for the US, um, and about minus 13% in Europe, Europe suffering more economically um, than the US. And the reason for the weakness in Europe is mainly, though, attributable to the energy and material sectors, the sort of year effect, you know, the spike now wearing off. So if you take those out, it's plus nine and plus eight in the US and Europe. And that's a very respectable sort of result, really. So that's with, you know, more than three quarters of the company's reporting. So I don't expect that to change. So reasonably um, solid, so reasonably solid um, in terms of both the B and the number. The only thing I would flag, though, is if you look at sales growth um, going back a long way, 10 or 15 years by the quarter, although it's sort of positive, it's the least positive mm. it's been for quite some time. So that's a bit of a don't know, canary in the coal mine a bit, as it were, yeah. about we may be at the beginning of the long-awaited weakness due to interest rate cuts, but th-
1: that's where we are at the headline level. Something to keep in mind then. So, okay, so it's not earnings that's impacted uh, equity markets, then, in, in your opinion?
2: I don't think so, no. I'm going to, so for the why has it pulled back, yeah, coming back to what you said right at the outset. There.
1: Yeah, yeah. Why
2: pull back? I mean, my personal view is it's it's due to the reset in interest rates. It's due to the whole market taking on board the so-called tabletop mountain mm. approach, which is that interest rates we all thought were gonna be either coming down end of this year into next, but now we realise that's not gonna happen until probably the second half of next year. And that's a very different sort of trajectory. And it's the realization of that and everything or asset classes adjusting to it that I think is responsible for that weakness. Okay.
1: So, I mean, we've had a number of announcements from central banks recently. Isabel, what what have you taken away from, let's start with the Fed, for example, over in the US. What did you take from their announcement to hold rates?
0: Yeah. So I think, as Robert was saying, we've had a bit of a kind of moment of realisation in markets that rates are likely to be higher for longer. Um, At the meeting, Uh, that we've had just this week, Uh, we had a hold from the Fed. And there was, you know, it was reiterated that fact that rates aren't going to be cut immediately. But actually, we had quite a positive market response. And, you know, I was thinking about why that could be, I think, in part, it is because, well, until quite recently, certainly, the Fed had been indicating we should expect another hike. And that had, uh, you know, was priced into markets as well. And Mm -hmm. that, chances perhaps fading. And okay. in addition, we had Powell speak quite sort of um, approvingly of the progress made in the economic data as well. So I think both of those things actually, compared to what had been expected, were a bit more dovish and a bit more supportive markets. Okay,
1: so once again, it's interest rates pulling <laughs> markets around. On mm. the pulling markets around comment you yeah.
2: just alluded to there, one thing I should have mentioned you know, we mentioned before the Magnificent Seven yeah, and yeah. the effect of those. And I looked at, just before this podcast um Pulling those out, and what happened to the underlying U.S. market? And it's broadly, if you take out the Magnificent Seven, it's broadly flat to just mm-hmm. slightly down. So do bear in mind, you know, the Magnificent Seven effect is very much still there.
1: The so the, the headline number of the index isn't necessarily telling the whole story of what's happening on no, the No, and, and there's
2: lots of other things happening to other sectors. Um, you know, the U.S. banking sector is is got is problematic and energy and healthcare are negative in the U.S. So there's lots of moving parts Mm. underneath that whole what's happening to the U.S. market type comment. Of course. And uh,
1: a similar story coming out of the Bank of England, I I assume, from what you heard.
0: Yeah, so uh, we had a hold also from the Bank of England and very much emphasising that um, monetary policy will need to remain restrictive for some Mm -hmm. time. Now, I guess um, the sort of comfort is obviously the bank's forecast, they're conditioned on a certain set of assumptions. And those assumptions do assume that there are some rate cuts. So we know that rates aren't going to remain um, as high as they are today, you know, indefinitely. Um, so we can look to rate cuts in, in time to come. But it was very clear from the meeting that we're not. we shouldn't expect to see them immediately.
1: Okay, lots to take on board there. It seems a bit of a mixed bag in terms of The positives and negative indicators looking ahead. Um, So, I mean, we've still got plenty of geopolitical uncertainty, inflation's still above target, interest rates seemingly going to remain high. But the flip side of that, we've got central banks giving us a little bit more clarity, which is always useful for businesses making their future plans. Employment remains strong and consumers keep spending and the robust set of numbers that we've seen broadly from, uh, from reporting season. So to me, this just demonstrates the importance of diversification, which Robert, you already mentioned yeah, totally. earlier. So diversification is so crucial to try and alleviate some of that risk, but actually it's also important for potentially benefiting from uh, upside surprises as well. And while interest rates are high today, it might be tempting to take money off the table, take risk out of the out of the equation. But we do know that interest rates can't keep pace with inflation. And often people forget that timing the market on the way out is only just as important as timing it on the way back in. You've got to get it right both times. And so so often it's, it's crucial to remain invested over the longer term. So with that in mind, my stat that I'm going to, you will both have known this, the crux of this stat. So I'm going to just gonna kind of test your memory on it because I just think it's a fascinating <laughs> one. So Go on. hypothetically, If we'd invested £10,000 at the beginning of the year 2000 into Global Equities, MSCI World Index, and we'd held it through to the middle of this summer, your return would be about £47,400, so about 340% return. Now, if you did the same thing, but you missed the 30 best trading days over that 23-year time frame, what do you think your return would be just 30 days just 30, 30 days 30 individual days the scattered 30 around 30 best days
2: 30 best days whenever they were regardless of whenever Regard, they were yeah, exactly i'm going to guess this i don't know the answer i'm going to say
1: half
0: i would have said some yeah that...
1: believe it or not your return would be below your 10,000 pounds really wow so you'd be around about 9,900 pounds So it just goes to show that when you lose those big days in the market, the compound effect carried forward into your long-term growth opportunity is profound. Mm. So we we do think that it's it's so important to not try and time the market, but to genuinely spend time in the market. So with that, I'll say thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure to speak to you, and uh, I look forward to doing it again.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks, Tom.